When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, football fans? Welcome back to another Fans First Football Show. I am Jeff Hartman, joined by Rob Stats Guerrera. This is Tuesday. It's our not our normal Monday recording time. We wanted to get all the wild card weekend action done before we talk. But Rob, welcome to the show. How's it going? Well, Jeff, it's going great for me. I'm sorry that we're here after your Steelers were eliminated. I know we'll get to that, but it's there are 364 days a year. This job is awesome. But the day after your team season ends and you have to go talk about it, it is the worst job in the world. Yeah, it, it is. And I, I will say this, you know, we are fans. That, that's the whole premise of fans for Sports Network is that we are not supposed to be some neutral line toting, you know, media member. And so when you're a fan, like you feel it a lot worse. And then you have other fans that are just bringing their vitriol and their angst to you. And it's like, ah, oh, it's just sometimes it's overload. But nonetheless, I'm very privileged to have this job, to have this microphone, to have this stage with you. And so let's talk about some super wild card weekend matchups. Let's start off with, well, the way it all started off Saturday, the Cleveland Browns go down to the Houston Texans. Now, we have talked about the Houston Texans a lot on this show. Rob, you're obviously invested. There's a lot of 49ers ties on that coaching staff with D'Amico Ryans and Bobby Slowick. And CJ Stroud is just such a phenomenal young talent in this league. The Texans blow the doors off of the Browns. Joe Flacco, like I said, I feel like he might turn into a pumpkin. He did throw some costly interceptions, some pick sixes. The Texans win 45 to 14. Rob, what the heck do you think about this one? So I was going into this one like, oh, the Browns defense is really tough. And then I did a show Friday with my co-host, Michelle Majuk on the Gold Standard Network. And she pointed out that the Browns on the road gave up 30 points a game this year. They were not the Browns defense that we saw at home that we all remember as this, you know, fearsome force. Yeah. So once she said that, I was like, maybe Houston will have some success. And of course, CJ Stroud did. And you throw in not one, but two pick sixes from Joe Flacco, who had been turning the ball over. I think he had eight turnovers in the five games that he had started. The Browns led the league in giveaways. They had 37 giveaways during the regular season. So it was not out of character for them to turn the ball over. And when those, two of those turn into direct touchdowns by the defense, and oh, by the way, C.J. Stroud lights you up on offense, you get a 45-14 blowout. Yeah, I, I got to be honest. The, the Browns defense, you know, I, got, I was able to tra travel this weekend, and I was with my dad. My, my family was all together down in, in Virginia, and we were watching this game. My dad said, well, I thought the Browns defense was better than this. I said, if you look at the Browns defense, and I didn't know the home away splits like you brought up, and that's a really good point. But I said, when you look at the Browns defense, they have had games where they have won, but have given up a lot of points. The Indianapolis game comes to mind. I mean, both teams were up in the upper 30s. I think they won that like 39 to 38. 
the defense was hit or miss, and this was a big miss for them. Miles Garrett was completely invisible in this game, and the Houston Texans just kind of did what they wanted. Their defense looked good, and their defense is not like a Browns defense, which is known for being suffocating or a top 10 unit. This Texans team is, is a dangerous team as they now prepare to play the Baltimore Ravens in the divisional round. Yeah, that's not going to be just a walk in the park breeze for Baltimore. And if there's one kind of theme I felt like sort of emerged this weekend, it's that NFL teams know how to erase great pass rushers. Miles Garrett, you just mentioned. Micah Parsons was a ghost in the Cowboys game. I mean, I don't even know that he even participated in the game. Teams are scheming up and finding ways to take away great pass rushers. Um, and it's, you know, it's obviously for the team like Cleveland that relies on Garrett for so much. That's a big deal. I'm just stunned that it was this big of a blowout. I mean, there were nine minutes left in the game and CJ Stroud was on the bench because the Texans were up by so many points. Nine minutes to go. That's almost an entire quarter. Shout yeah. out to D'Amico Ryans for the defensive game plan that worked against Cleveland. And when you have not just a good quarterback, but when you have a guy that's able to come into the league and light it up like C.J. Stroud has, I mean, the Texans are going to be in the mix in the AFC, I think, for the next, you know, at least half decade. Yeah, when you look at Cleveland, again, going back to Joe Flacco, he, we knew he was going to turn it over. The defense wasn't able to bail him out in this game. Some of the throws that Stroud made, just, I mean, remarkable. I'm talking scrambling, back foot throws. I mean, these were throws that you're like, wow, like this guy's a rookie? That that was the most one of the most impressive rookie performances in a playoff game that I've seen in a long time. You know, everyone talks about Ben Roethlisberger's rookie year in 2004. Go back to those playoff games. He looked like crap. <laughs> he <laughs> did not play well in those games. CJ Stroud looked like an all pro like the, the Houston Texans. We talked about them playing with house money coming into this. You said, hey, you're just happy to be here. You see what you can do. The future is so bright. You got to wear shades right for the Houston Texans. Oh, absolutely. Uh, C.J. Stroud, I believe, is the youngest quarterback to ever win a playoff game. 22 years, 102 days. And you guess who he passed? Who was the previous record holder? For the youngest quarterback? Was it, was it Ben? It was Michael Vick. 22 oh, years, 192 nice. days in 02 when he beat the Packers. Oh, so that's wow. literally where C.J. Stroud is. He's the youngest quarterback to ever win a playoff game. And like you said, he wasn't just along for the ride like Big Ben was. He was the key reason. Yeah, absolutely. So the Texans move on. The Brown season ends and they're left wondering what if. And the Browns are saying that we're going back to Deshaun Watson next year. As a Steeler fan, I'm excited for that because I don't <laughs> think Deshaun Watson is that guy. But when you pay him $230 million guaranteed, you got to go back to him and you got to see what's up. But let's go to the game that uh, I did not watch because Peacock and stupidity to the NFL and I was going to be I was that old man shaking his fist at the cloud saying, I'm not paying for your peacock stuff. But the Dolphins go to the Chiefs. And I did watch a lot of this in replay. I saw a lot of highlights. The Chiefs in the bitter cold find a way to win. The Dolphins just continue to struggle and not just the postseason, but in these big games, in these big moments. And you just have to wonder this Dolphins team that's being built like a track team so fast. Is that sustainable for the long term? Is that is that a success formula for the for the NFL when it comes to winning in January? I don't know. The the Chiefs win twenty six to seven. Rob, what was your take? This was one of the least surprising outcomes of the entire weekend. Frankly, yeah. the Dolphins always wilt against good teams, and they stink in the cold. 
They, st- I think they're 0 for their last 11 in games that kick off at less than 40 degrees. Tuatunga Vilo, I believe, is 0 for his last six in that situation. And it was cold in this one. It was so cold, Patrick Mahomes' helmet shattered on a hit. Like, pieces of the helmet flew yeah. off during play. Andy Reid's mustache froze on the sidelines. Like, it was cold. But I just had no faith in Miami to be able to do anything. And look... There's something to be said for building a team that does something really well. And if circumstances go right, like if Miami had home field advantage, maybe they go further in the playoffs. But you need to be able to build a team that can win in a variety of circumstances. And the Dolphins have proven now that they are not there yet. Maybe they will be, but right now they're not there yet. Believe it or not, the Dolphins, everyone thinks of the Dolphins, they think of Tua and, and they think of Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. They think of this high-powered passing attack. But what they've done the best this season was actually running the football. And so when you looked at, you know, A-Chan had something, some gaudy number, like he averaged over seven yards a carry throughout the season. Just incredible. Yeah. They only ran the ball for 76 yards in this game. And a part of it was because they fell behind. Again, if you're going to be that team, like, what are you? What is your identity? It doesn't match. It doesn't seem to fit. The Dolphins are in a weird spot right now with Tua going into the uh, final year of his rookie contract, I believe. I, they'll have to make a decision, I think, on his fifth-year option. Um, oh, Rob, you're saying get rid of him. He's getting out of there. Uh, no, get rid of him. No way. <laughs> Look, he's he's. I've seen this before. Like, this is Jimmy Garoppolo, right? Like, yeah, he's kind of doing it, and the numbers look good, but, like, we've seen it now. There, There's a limit. He is limited in what he can do. He's not mobile. He can't get away from defenders. To me, you know, for as much as people talk about, well, another quarterback would do what Brock Purdy's doing, I think another quarterback would absolutely do what Tua Tungavailoa is doing. Yeah, not much. I mean, so when, it, when it matters the most, I guess. So, well, let's talk about the Chiefs, though, because as much as we want to say, like, oh, the Dolphins stink and they're not, they're not, they're exactly who we thought they were, as the late great Denny Green once said. Um, the Chiefs find a way to score 26 points in the frigid cold. Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Taylor Swift is there. God, we all, let's talk about that some more. But still, <laughs> now the Chiefs are getting ready for a road playoff game as they're going to have to go to Buffalo in the divisional round. This could get really dicey, but I'll tell you what, I saw some resolve in this Chiefs team. I saw something in this Chiefs team that I haven't seen a lot this season. Maybe this, is this a team that's just waiting to play right at the right time? Uh, Look, as long as you have Patrick Mahomes and you have Andy Reid dialing it up, you're in everything. You're in everything. And you knew the Chiefs were not going to go quietly. This game set up perfectly for them. Home playoff game, freezing cold. And, you know, you mentioned running being the best thing that Miami does. The Chiefs running attack with Isaiah Pacheco, it's not necessarily like huge gashy with massive runs, but it's consistent and they stick with it or when they stick with it, it changes their whole offense. You know, they don't have this fantastic offense like they used to have. So they need to run with Pacheco to keep things honest, to open up the play action for Mahomes. Rishi Rice seems to be you know, picking up a little steam here. He had eight catches for 130 and a touchdown in this game. You have him, you have Kelsey, you have Pacheco and Mahomes. Like that will probably be enough to make you, you know, at least competitive in the playoffs. So it's going to be fun. First road playoff game of Patrick Mahomes' entire career, and it comes in Buffalo. That environment is going to be nuts. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait. The NFL's got to be happy. 
for that matchup for sure. Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. What do you got, Rob? Can I give one more note on Miami? Because I was looking yeah. for it before when we were talking about it. Including this game now, Josh McDaniels, Josh McDaniel is 20 and 16, including 0 and 2 in the playoffs. The Dolphins are 4 and 10 under McDaniel in December and January. And the Dolphins are 3 and 12 against teams that have made the playoffs the past two years. It's not enough to beat up on tomato cans. If you want to be a championship team, you got to be able to beat good teams. And as impressive as the Dolphins have been, they have not been able to do that under Mike McDaniel. Do you think his seat should be heating up a little bit? Um, I don't, wouldn't. Well, maybe, <laughs> maybe those are not good numbers, Rob, that you just said. <laughs> when you put the, you know, when you put the seat warmers on in the car and you first start to feel it, that's that's where Mike McDaniel okay. used to be. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Let's go to Sunday in the biggest upset of the weekend by far was the Dallas Cowboys hosting the Green Bay Packers. This was the game everyone said, maybe outside of Buffalo, Pittsburgh. This was the game everyone said was just, hey, just sit back and relax and watch the, the favored team just roll. And Jordan Love and the Packers went into Jerry World, a place that the Cowboys had not lost this season. And they didn't just punch him in the mouth. They boat raced them in the final score of 48 to 32 is not indicative of how lopsided this game was. Rob as a 49er fan. You had to be sitting back just laughing, like laughing as the, it's the first time a number seven seed has won a game in NFL history since they changed the format. I knew this was going to happen. Oh, I should say, I knew the Packers were going to win when you punch the Cowboys in the face. They huddle down into a ball and scream, please don't hurt me. This <laughs> is who the Cowboys are. They always do this. They make it seem like they're the big bad bully, but they're not. You punch that bully in the nose and he is done. And you, you're right. The score, it was 48 to 16 with 10 minutes to go in the fourth quarter. Like this was an annihilation by the Packers. And Jordan Love looked good. The, the Cowboys defense with Dan Quinn can look very good, but it's also very much like, this is what we do. This is how we're going to attack you. Try and beat it. And a lot of teams can't, but they don't change anything. They don't switch it up. So you know what you're going to get. And the Green Bay Packers absolutely coached circles around Dan Quinn in this game. There was a touchdown pass that Jordan Love had. Luke Musgrave is open by 25 yards. There's no other human being in the screen with him when they zoom out for the all 22, he was that open. It was an absolute destruction from a coaching perspective. I think McCarthy's getting fired. Dan Quinn is definitely taking a head coaching job somewhere. I'm praying it's in Seattle. Please let me have to face that defense twice a year. Please, please, please. <laughs> it was just an embarrassment by the Cowboys. The Cowboys and their fans should be utterly embarrassed. Jimmy Johnson at halftime on Fox is calling it an embarrassment. It was pathetic. The play that you're talking about to the tight end uh, where he's by himself, I saw a, a screenshot of it and said, and it was just him. You know, you can see no one else. And they said, this looks Photoshopped. It's not. <laughs> There's right? no cowboy even close to him. I mean, so yes, Jordan Love did have some very easy throws to make, but he also threaded the needle on more than one occasion. I mean, it was, I was watching Jordan Love thinking, my gosh, what an embarrassment of riches the Packers have had. If Jordan Love can continue on this trajectory, which he had some rough spots this season. Let's not 
let's not sugarcoat it. He, it was not always, you know, lollipops and rainbows. But if he continues to develop, they would have gone from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers and potentially to another first-round pick in Jordan Love for the next who knows how long. Packers fans have to be feeling absolutely excited. Now, no, they're not excited about a divisional round <laughs> trip to, to San Francisco and playing your 49ers. But, you know, it, the Packers just, man, like, this was the shock of the weekend for me. Was it? You said it wasn't a shock to you, but this was a very one-sided victory. Yeah, the, the maybe the amount of points that the Packers put up was shocking, but I didn't. I definitely thought the Packers had a chance to win the game for sure. Yeah. Um, the thing with Jordan Love that I think, if I was a Packers fan, I'd be so excited about. I mean, yes, like clearly he has arm talent. He he can make some throws that are very impressive, but also the work he was doing at the line of scrimmage before the play, reading defenses, calling audibles, things like that. Like he was in control out there, and again, maybe it was because. He, he sort of knew what he was going to get defensively, but whatever. This is his first full year as a starter. He was doing it. Like, he was not shy about it. He was, you know, in control. That's very encouraging for me because not only does it look like he can do special things with his arm, but he also looks like from the neck up, he's not overwhelmed. And that's a damn good combination for your team. What's your thoughts on the Packers going into San Francisco next weekend? Oh, they're going to get smashed. Smashed, <laughs> smashed, smashed. <laughs> like, I... And, the Jordan Love's been getting a lot of praise coming out of this game, and I get it, but also it's frustrating me to no end because he's not even the best quarterback in the game. Brock Purdy is better than Jordan Love. Brock Purdy is younger than Jordan Love. Brock Purdy has more playoff experience than Jordan yeah. Love, and I have seen my 49ers beat Matt LaFleur's team by running them into the ground in 2019 when they only threw eight passes in the NFC Championship game. And I've seen my 49ers beat Matt LaFleur without scoring an offensive touchdown like they did in 2021. So I feel like the Jedi Master Kyle Shanahan is going to once again put the beat down on the Padawan Matt LaFleur. <laughs> we will see. That's good. But the Dallas Cowboys now, they enter an, uh, an offseason, which, you know, you're the number two seed in the NFC. You win the NFC East. You're checking all these boxes off, and you have a one-and-done playoff season. The, the postseason is very quick. I said to you before we went on the air, I'm shocked that Mike McCarthy wasn't fired before the postgame press conference. You <laughs> brought up a valid reason why, but you don't think there's any way they bring him back, do you? No. No, Jerry wants his Cowboys to dominate the news cycle for a little bit so people speculate, and then he's going to fire Mike McCarthy. Maybe by the time you hear this, he's going to have fired Mike McCarthy. How do you run it back if you're the Cowboys, right? Like, let's say, okay, you're going to run it back. Mike McCarthy's in that locker room next year. How's he going to convince everyone in that room, this year it's going to be different? Yeah, We can climb that mountain again. We're going to beat the 49ers or the Packers or the Eagles if it, you know, if the Eagles can figure themselves out, which we'll get to that, like, how are you going to convince that group of men that anything is going to be different next year? I don't think you can bring Mike McCarthy back. I, I don't know how you would do it to, to just run it back. Seems like you're a waste. Like you have to change something about this Cowboys team because clearly 12 wins the last three years are the first team to ever win 12 games, three straight years and not make the conference championship game. Yeah, it's, it changes probably going to be coming. I don't know how, I don't, well, probably Swift. I just don't know how steep of a climb they're going to have in terms of figuring out what to do with some of the players on the roster, their contracts. It's going to be interesting. Dallas is in for a very tumultuous offseason, but let's move on to what I felt was the game of the weekend, and that was 
Rams, Lions in Detroit. Matthew Stafford goes back. You said it on our show last week. Detroit, do not boo this man. They booed that man. I agreed with you when when you said it on the show. I saw the tweet uh, from, I think, the NFL where showed Stafford running on the field, and they booed him like, man, that's I don't like that. That guy gave everything he had for that organization, and they traded him away. It's not like he just outright said, I want out of here. Get me out of this place. He didn't do that, but nonetheless, it was a great football game. The Lions end up winning 24-23 to and sets up a really, really interesting game as the Lions are going to host the Buccaneers next week. We'll talk about the Eagles and Buccaneers shortly. But what was your takeaway from this game? Did you enjoy it as much as I did? I did enjoy it because this was one of the games where I felt like I didn't really have a rooting interest. Uh, I was happy that one of those teams was going to be eliminated at the end of it. Um, And it's just, it was just a fun game. In the first half, they were scoring back and forth. I think they alternated scores on the first, what was it, six possessions? One, two, three. Yeah, six possessions. It was just score, 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 score. It was like, all right, it's going to be, it's going to be one of those games. And then in the second half, things kind of calmed down uh, significantly. But it was everything you wanted to see if you were a Lions fan, right? You, you, get your home playoff game. You're playing against the guy that was the quarterback of your team and your quarterback, Jared Goff made probably one or two more plays in this game. than Matt Stafford and the Lions get the win. Yeah. And, and, and they had an opportunity. The Rams obviously trailing by one. They just had to get the ball back and the Lions just, Hey, they, they keep getting first downs. They ice away the win. Jared Goff probably feels a lot of validation because I'm sure he feels like he was, you know, given up by Sean McVay and, and Dan Campbell wins the game. I mean, there were Lions fans weeping in the stands <laughs> after this game because it, it had been since, what, 1990 or 91 since they had won a playoff game. Just an incredible stretch, incredible drought. Good for the Lions. I left this this Rams game thinking, what a, what a player Puka Nakua is. <laughs> that guy oh, is unbelievable. When Cooper Cup is kind of an afterthought because this young rookie is just having his way, you know him because you're an NFC West guy. Puka Nakua is, is the real deal. I think he's a phenomenal talent. He's the number one target in the yeah. Ram, for the Rams from now on. Like it, It's clear. It's him. He's a great player. McVay knows. We know McVay knows how to get him open. I honestly think that if you're a Rams fan, you should be mad at Sean McVay in this one because I think he butchered it from a game management perspective. Every time the Rams got down into the red zone and they faced a fourth down, McVay kicked a field goal. He did it in the first quarter, fourth and goal at the six-yard line. And by the way, the Rams have missed 11 field goals this year. So it's not like, you know, that's a guaranteed thing to do. First quarter, fourth and six at the six, he runs for the field goal. Third quarter, fourth and eight at the nine, field goal. Fourth quarter, fourth and eight at the 11, field goal. You cannot keep kicking field goals. I say it all the time on my Niners podcast. 95% of the time, field goals are failures. It is a failure of the offense. You have to go for it. Sean McVay is painfully conservative. You have to be aggressive. At least half the time you have to go for it. Touchdowns are worth twice as much as field goals. I feel like head coaches don't understand basic math. Like the field goal, most of the time does you no good but they're so risk averse they're so afraid of coming away with no points that they kick the field goal and make it harder for their team to win and when you are in a game like this where the score is going to be close where the offenses are going to be close you have to get touchdowns 
and Sean McVay continually kicked the field goal. And lo and behold, the Rams lost by a point. So if you want to look at the stat that tells the, the, the tale of the tape, so to speak, red zone, Rams 0 for 3, Lions 3 for 3. That was the difference in the game. That and Sean McVay inexplicably, again, being conservative, right? Fourth and 14 from the Detroit 44-yard line. Fourth and 14 is tough, but you only have one timeout if you're Sean McVay. So if you punt, you know if they get one first down, it's over. you're done. Yep. And he punted the ball away. He put the game in the hands of his weaker unit, by far, the defense, instead of putting the ball in the hands of Matt Stafford and Puka Nakua and Cooper Cup and himself, by the way, as a play caller. I thought that was a mistake as well. And then the you know the Lions were able to uh, salt the game away after that. Yeah, and the Rams have to wonder how many years Matthew Stafford has left. He's been banged up a lot the last few years, got banged up again in this game. Yes. Meanwhile, Detroit, they, their future is bright when you look at some of the young, talented players they have on their team. Whether you're talking about Jameer Gibbs, uh, they, they have a really good offense. The question will be, can the defense hold up? We'll see. We'll talk divisional round with them here shortly. Let's go to the game, which I really don't want to talk about, yet we do have to talk about it, and that is the Steelers and Bills. Rob, first and foremost, what was your take on the blizzard that moved this game from Sunday at 1 o'clock to 4.30 on Monday? Well, first of all, I was happy that they did that. We don't need 70,000 people trying to travel in weather that was, like, biblical in Buffalo with the snow. Like, no. Like, we... We don't need to do that anymore. I would have been okay, honestly, if they moved the Chiefs-Dolphins game. Like, we don't need people in that kind of cold either. So I was glad they moved it. I think it's comical that billionaire owners uh, get fans to shovel the stadium and pay them like, $5 <laughs> and give them a hot dog. And they're like, good, thanks. Um, that always annoys the hell out of me. Clearly, they could afford to have, like, a professional team of people come in. But whatever. They did it. And they got the game off. Yeah. And I, I had a bad feeling about this game once it was moved. Uh, I had no idea. Obviously, there's no way I was going to suggest that they we're talking about public safety. But when people say public safety, a lot of times the people get up in arms and, you know, whatever. But for me, it comes down to the fact that if people would have actually gone to the stadium and gotten there, there's a chance they didn't get home, in which case now they're in a stadium right. in those conditions. People's lives could be at stake. And that might sound crazy to some people. You maybe have never been in whiteout conditions. It's dangerous. Like that's what exactly what it was. And so they moved the game. I was fine with them moving it. But once it moved and I knew that the conditions were going to be different, I had a bad feeling. I knew it was going to favor Josh Allen and the Bills because he was going to be that talent. He was going to use his arm in ways that he wasn't probably going to be able to if the game stayed, if the weather conditions weren't as egregious as they were. And the Steelers just have no answer. I'm going to say anything off the bat. It said, you see the haves and the have-nots in terms of quarterback play in the NFL. The Bills have a guy. They've got Josh Allen, big arm, talented, can run. The Steelers do not. Whether you're talking about Kenny Pickett, whether you're talking about Mason Rudolph, definitely not Mitch Trubisky. They don't have that guy. And that was, to me, the difference in this game. The Bills win 31-17, to but Rob, I'm anxious to hear your take. Playoff Josh Allen is a different animal. He had a 52-yard touchdown run in this one. He's like a, a freight truck that's just completely rumbling down a hill with no brakes. It's the second longest touchdown run by a quarterback in playoff history, only to Colin Kaepernick against the Packers, by the way. Um, (laughs) He's a different animal in the playoffs. He raises his game to another level. There was a stat that I'm trying to find now, and of course, I can never do it. 
um, when I need to. He doesn't turn the ball over in the playoffs. I know we talk about like, oh my God, he, you know, he has this turnover problem in the regular season. He doesn't do it in the playoffs. He's got a 101.6 passer rating in the playoffs. He's got almost 2,600 yards, 20 touchdowns, four interceptions for Josh Allen in the playoffs. And he also has 500 rushing yards and three rushing touchdowns. He's unbelievable in the playoffs. Can I say something about the 52-yard run for a second? Oh boy, I saw your face when I said it. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, no, no, here's here's the thing. And, and it's it's this is not just relegated to this play. This is the way the NFL treats quarterbacks. You saw in that play, if you watch the replay, Josh Allen slows up. He doesn't do the Kenny Pickett at Pitt in the ACC championship game against Purdue where he fake slots. <laughs> that like awesome. that's it's not that. Okay. It's it wasn't that, but he slows up. Well, once he slows up, watch the defenders around the play. They all stop. And then he keeps going. And this is what the NFL has developed with these quarterbacks, where if Josh Allen slows up and starts to slide and they hit him, look at what Miles Jack did later in the game, you get flagged 15 yards. So they ease up as the quarterback eases up. And then he rumbles on down the, he's a big dude and he just continues to go for 52 yards. I feel like the defense, I, I hate that we always say this, but it's a lose lose situation for them. And I'm not saying this as, you know, crying over spilled milk with the Steelers. It was just something I noticed about that play where it's the same thing as, let's say, Lamar Jackson is running towards the sideline. Defenders are going to ease up because you can't hit the quarterback as he's going out of bounds. And then he stays and tight ropes the sideline for another seven yards. You're to lose lose. It was really frustrating. Just wanted to bring that up and get your thoughts. You're not wrong at all. And we have seen a lot of quarterbacks do that. And Patrick Mahomes does that a lot where he manipulates yeah. the defense like that. Um, and the NFL's response is going to be, we don't care. It's worth <laughs> us to keep the quarterbacks healthy. Look at all the quarterback injuries they had this oh, year. Yeah. They are going to say tough, which is what they always say to defenses, by the way. Tough. The only time they ever throw the defense a bone, and I feel like it's going to change soon, is the fumbling out of the end zone. That's the only rule that favors the defense. And everyone's like, change it. It's terrible. We can't have that. They get one rule on this one really specific play, and everyone wants to change it. That's the only time they ever give a little bit of help to a defender. Yeah, I mean, other than that one play, the, the Steelers just, you turn the ball over. You can't do it in the postseason play, you know? And, and you look at the Steelers are, are you know, completed pass to George Pickens. George Pickens is fighting for extra yards and he fumbles the ball away. What happens on the next snap? Touchdown. Yeah. Josh Allen, just a dagger. And then the Steelers are they're closing in on making it a one-score game. They're moving down the field, and Mason Rudolph does what you cannot do. It's a red zone interception in the end. It was a great play by the defender, but at the same time, you just cannot have those costly turnovers. And this officiating crew, by the way, and I'm not saying this from a pro Steeler stance, if you watch the game, the fumble by Pat Fryermuth on the sideline, how in the hell that stayed the Steelers' ball, I have no idea. Like I'm watching this and like, yeah, this is a, this is a fumble. This is their third turnover. And like, nope, stays the Steelers. But I'm like, how? It never touched Pat Fryermuth when he was out of bounds. Again, the officiating remains a constant talking point narrative. But the Steelers, they gave they, they gave the, the Bills the early lead, and then they were not able to come back because they just don't have the quarterback to do that. When you are, have the lesser quarterback, and, and no disrespect to Mason Rudolph, but in this case, the lesser quarterback by a wide degree, yeah. your margin for error becomes so, so small. And you had no TJ Watt in this game, so you didn't have that on your defense, which we know makes a big deal. You have to be perfect. When you're Mason Rudolph and you go down the field and you get in the red zone, you got to stick it in. You can't turn it over. 
And unfortunately for the Steelers and for Mike Tomlin, he did. And the Steelers lost and their season is over. And let me ask you, Jeff, after the game, <clears throat> excuse me, Mike Tomlin, someone starts, Brooke Pryor, I think, starts yep. to ask Mike Tomlin a question about his contract because he has a year left and he just walks off the podium. So I'm going to ask you, have we seen the last game as Mike Tomlin as head coach of the Steelers? I, I I could see a world in a situation where we have. I don't think he's going to get fired. I think if anything, Mike Tomlin says, I'm going to step away from the game. I'm going to pull a Sean Payton. I'm going to take a year off, and then I'll see where I go. The Steelers would be absolutely foolish to fire him. You still have a year of control over Mike Tomlin. If he wants to step away, okay, we'll move on. There's some people out there that like Mike Vrabel who might be a good fit for Pittsburgh. But at the same time, if he does pull a Sean Payton and wants to get back into coaching and he's like, yeah, I want to come back. The Steelers can get compensated for that. So they would be stupid, but really, really bad look for a guy that is now the longest tenured coach in the NFL. So you got asked about your contract. What you say is, you know what? Now's not the time or the place. I'm not going to answer that. You don't just walk off. It's horrible. Look, in my opinion, I thought that he's smarter than that. He's been around the block a time or two. He's been asked a lot of stupid questions since 2007 when he was hired. And I just thought it was horrible. And that's from a Steelers perspective. So I, I, I could see the world where this is Mike Tomlin's last game with this. Just, the dude hasn't won a playoff game since the 2016 season. So yeah, the non-losing season stuff is great. And getting into the playoffs is great. But participation trophies don't count in the NFL. you got to win when it matters most. And that's not what's happening under Mike Tomlin in the last, well, since 2016. I could make the argument that the non-losing season thing is making it harder for them to get where they need to go because they can't yep. get a draft pick high enough to get the thing that they need the most, which is a quarterback. Yep. You who cares if you finish nine and eight? Like that was never an accomplishment to me that it got touted as like this amazing thing. To me, it doesn't matter at all. Like big deal. You didn't have a losing season, right? No, I don't care. I think the Steelers should move on. Um, I what are you afraid of losing? What are you afraid of losing? And and I think they have this thing in Pittsburgh, and you correct me if I'm wrong because you know better than me. I think they love the fact, oh, we don't fire coaches. We've only had oh, three yeah. head coaches since the invention of sliced bread, whatever. So what? So what? The 49ers had three different head coaches in three years, but you know what? It led them to Kyle Shanahan, and look where they are now. Like, sometimes you got to crawl through a river of crap to get to freedom on the other side. The Steelers got to be willing to do it. Yeah, I mean, they love the three coaches since 1969. They get off on it. It's like, oh, look at us, three coaches since 19. It's like, okay, yeah, I get it. But every coach, I feel like the message gets stale at some point. Look at Bill Cowher. Bill Cowher was a very successful coach, got into the Hall of Fame. But he was always talking about getting that one, What that got to get that one for the thumb, as they called it in Pittsburgh, the fifth Super Bowl. And once he did, it's almost like he looked around and said, now what do I do? Like, what am I supposed to do now? I, I, I've been talking about this for, for all these years, over a decade. I think the Steelers would be smart to really think about how they want to do this. If Mike Tomlin wants to keep coaching and he wants a change of scenery, trading would be really interesting. A team like Washington, and there's been a lot of talk. Jay Glazer's brought up Washington. I think Mike Florio has brought up Washington as well with pro football talk. They have some draft capital here. If the Steelers are smart and they and, and Mike Tomlin is up for a trade, that would be really interesting to see. This is going to be a really interesting offseason for the Pittsburgh Steelers in a lot of ways, Mike Tomlin being at the top of that hill. 
but uh, we'll see. Nonetheless, the Bills move on. Any other thoughts on this game? Uh, no, I hope it leads to changes in Pittsburgh because I think the Steelers will be better off for it. And oh, my last thought, shame on the AFC. Shame on the AFC. Who let Josh Allen get into the playoffs? You had a chance to knock this guy out. And now he's terrorizing you. And as a 49er fan, as a, as a fan of a team that I hope and expect to be in the Super Bowl, Josh Allen scares the ever living and crap out of me. And they yeah. had a chance to keep him home for the playoffs and they messed it up. And now we all have to deal with him. <laughs> well, yeah, that, that's going to be a great game next week on Sunday when the Chiefs go to Buffalo. It's going to be a lot of fun. Maybe another game that I, I said that the upset of the week was Green Bay and Dallas. I didn't say the Buccaneers beating the Eagles 32 to nine was that because honestly, the Eagles, I said this a million times on a bunch of different podcasts. They were the the second iteration of the 2020 Steelers where they had these wins and it didn't look good. And you're like, okay, we're just waiting for the next the next shoe to drop. And it finally did. They're banged up. They're hurt. Sirianni seems like he's lost control of the locker room. And it comes to a head in a one-and-done postseason for the Philadelphia Eagles. The one-time Philadelphia Eagles that everyone thought was this buzzsaw that was just going to go through the entire NFC Boy, did the wheels fall off. Jason Kelsey has announced his retirement. And you have to wonder what is going on in Philly. But Tampa Bay, they win 32-9. Complete train wreck. You know, there's that expression, the wheels fell off. Well, the wheels completely fell off for the Eagles. Yeah. The team was 10-1 and one at one point. I was singing their praises because of how they were able to always win tight games. And, I mean, look, maybe I'm biased. But since the 49ers beat the hell out of them, they have not been the same team. What did they finish? One and five, one and six after starting 10 and one. And I feel like everybody was predicting the Buccaneers win. Like we could all see it. Something is rotten in Philadelphia. There was an article that came out that called them the most miserable 10 and one team ever. I don't know what is wrong with the Eagles locker room or what is going on in there, but it's clearly bad. You could tell AJ Brown scrubbed his Instagram of all Eagles stuff before the game. Lo and behold, oh, AJ Brown's inactive with a quote unquote knee sprain. It's like what? It's playoff game, man. Like I, I don't know what's going on there. I think Nick Sirianni is going to get fired. I think that you can't have the season go as badly as it did without a major injury to one of your stars and not make a change. I think the Eagles are going to fire. Nick Sirianni, and I don't know if they're going after Belichick, but I don't think Sirianni is going to be back. When you see, so again, let's go back. Let, let's check the timeline. So they, they, they're winning games, and you have Jalen Hurts say at a press conference, like, man, like the team's got to be more committed or something. You're like, wait a second, what? Like, that's a, that's a red flag. Like, that just went up. Okay, weird, but we're going to move on. Then they make the change to Matt Patricia calling defensive plays. Like, wait, why? You guys are still winning games. What's what's going on? This is all like th this cancer is growing, and now like it, it just it just comes to this head. It's just awful. What you look about the, the way they finish the regular season, waving the white flag of surrender against the Giants in Week 18, that carries over into this playoff game, and now you have this 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 weird i i don't know like sirianni gets canned we've said it before what does sirianni do no one knows <laughs> no one knows what what sirianni does as a coach but he could get fired i i just this is befuddling to me if you want to use an adjective this just, just doesn't make sense 
But at the same time, let's also give credit to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We laughed and joked all year that the NFC South was somehow going to find a way to get into the playoffs. Someone's going to win the NFC South. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers do. Baker Mayfield throws three touchdowns, and now they're on to the divisional round. And they got to go up to Detroit, which you never know. You never know what can happen. The Buccaneers looked interested in playing this game, and the Eagles didn't. Every time the Buccaneers had a chance to go out of bounds, the ball carrier spun or juked or shifted to stay in bounds and make contact with an Eagles defender. They were gaining yards after catch and yards after contact like crazy in this game. The Eagles looked like they wanted no part of tackling in the game. They looked utterly disinterested. Dow Scotter is yelling at Jalen Hurts on the sideline, and Jalen Hurts is not even responding. He's just looking straight ahead, like not even engaging with Dallas Goddard at all in the contest. I've never seen a playoff game where literally it looked like the other team just wanted to go home. Like they did not care at all. And I thought the ultimate symbolism of that is when the Eagles got to the one-yard line and they tried the tush-push, and not even that worked. The Bucs stopped it. Not even the one thing the Eagles thought they could always count on was there for them when they needed it in this game. It was a humiliating loss by the Eagles. And you're right, credit to the Buccaneers because they played well. They played like they actually wanted it. And clearly they play with more confidence. I mean, you got confident Baker Mayfield out there. How much money has Baker Mayfield made himself this season? Because he gambled on himself. You think about his, think about his career. He's drafted first overall by Cleveland. They cut ties with him. He goes on this, road trip around the NFL where he's a quarterback for the Panthers and he's quarterback of the Rams and he lands in Tampa Bay, I believe on a one-year deal, mind you. He's a free agent after this season. I'm sure he's going to sign on with someone. I would assume Tampa Bay would be the leader in the clubhouse, but the dude made himself a lot of money. Like uh, Baker Mayfield might be an up and down roller coaster, but when he's confident Baker Mayfield, like you just put it, he's a pretty good quarterback. He can sling it, man. He made a couple throws in this game, a couple of rocket balls where he reached back and threw the ball into some tight spots. He was the number one draft pick for a reason. Like, you know, I think that Baker's personality is so polarizing that it colors how people evaluate him as a player. He's not perfect by any means, but he can throw the damn football. And I love it. I love the personality. He's funny to me. Like, you could see him during the game. There was at one point where he's about to... uh take a score to Gatorade and there's a Bucks coach behind him and he's, he shifts the Gatorade and squirts the Gatorade at the coach. Like he's having fun out there, man. I love it. I'm happy for him. He's like you said, he has had a bumpy ride in the NFL. Uh, I, I imagine that he's going to stay in Tampa Bay. I mean, he's certainly come a long way from competing with Kyle Trask for the job. <laughs> when he was a training camp. And now, like you said, yeah, they're playing to go to the NFC championship game against the lions, which like, I think that's going to be a fun game. It could be a fun game. Let me ask you this about Baker since we're talking about him. Mm-hmm. Do you think he still has the capabilities of being a franchise guy? Or is he just going to be a journeyman for the rest of his career? Um, I Maybe. I'm not ruling it out. You know, he 22 okay. 36, 337, three touchdowns, no picks in the game. He's not crazy athletic. He doesn't right. have that, like, mobility, really. Um, he did run around a little bit in this game, to be fair. But, like, he's not, you know, he's not like a like a Jordan love or just certainly not like a Justin Fields. I think he's, he's not as athletic as he thinks he is sometimes, <laughs> but I mean, he can throw the ball. Everybody likes him wherever he goes. The coaches all like him. The players seem to like him. He seems to be, he seems to have a genuine leadership quality, not like a fake leadership quality, like Russell Wilson. Like he seems to people generally want to, 
follow him. So yeah, I'm not totally ruling it out. I think you got to have some pieces around him, but maybe. Yeah. Never know. We'll never know. So there you have it. The super wild card weekend is done. We move on to the divisional round, which is my favorite weekend of the postseason because it's the last week that you get this big slate of games, multiple days. So to remind everyone of what this slate looks like, you have Texans and Baltimore Ravens in M&T Bank Stadium. That is going to be on Saturday. On Sunday, you've got the Chiefs going to the Bills. That's a great AFC slate right there. I love that slate. Absolutely fantastic. Then you have Packers, 49ers. Which day is that on, Rob? That's on Saturday. That's the night game, 8.15 p.m. Eastern time on Fox on Saturday. Very good. And then you have the Buccaneers on Sunday going to the Detroit Lions. It's going to be a lot of fun. Any final thoughts on Wild Card Weekend? Just the NFL falls into these playoff storylines. Like, no matter how it works out, they always end up with juicy storylines. We talked about, you know, the Stafford and all that stuff. Mike McCarthy losing to his old team and now might get fired because of it. And then you look at the divisional round and you've got Lamar Jackson, the once and possibly future MVP, going up against C.J. Stroud, who's like, you know, the young sizzling rookie like Lamar Jackson was. And then in the NFC, you've got the Lions and this Cinderella story. Or I should say on Sunday, you've got the Lions and the Cinderella story. We know Bill's Chiefs and all the drama that goes there. It's incredible what the NFL has. Like, they can do no wrong right now. Yeah. Now, it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to be back here next week talking about all those. We'll be back on Monday next week because the games are on Saturday and Sunday, barring Mother Nature intervening, which in Buffalo, anything can happen. So we'll see. But Rob, uh, why don't you tell them where they can find your 49ers coverage as they gear up for the divisional round? Yeah, if you want to know anything about the 49ers, anything and everything, check us out. Gold Standard Network. You can search Gold Standard Network on our YouTube channel. Uh, Gold Standard Network, wherever you get your podcasts, we have the best 49ers coverage out there. We live stream every single day of the week. We have daily 49ers updates every single weekday. Please, please, please give us a chance. I promise you, you'll come back. Absolutely. If you want Pittsburgh Steelers coverage as they head into the offseason, check us out at the Steel Curtain Network at steelcurtainnetwork.com or anywhere where you get your podcast, YouTube, Facebook, you name it. Just search Steel Curtain Network. You will find us. Find me on Twitter at jhartman, H-A-R-T-M-A-N underscore P-I-T. Rob, thanks for another great show. We'll talk next week. Can't wait.